From PRX and Transom, this is the Sound School podcast with the backstory to great audio storytelling. I'm Rob Rosenthal. On this episode, something a little different, a conversation with a sound ethnographer. I was talking to someone the other day, telling them that I was going to be interviewing you, and I was trying to describe what you do. And I said to them, it's sort of like Studs Terkel meets Brian Eno in the woods. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah. Do you know how you... How the mine fire started? Well, I know what always been heard that I I would don't know where the actually started. When you explain what you do to people, do people understand? Uh, no, it, it takes it, it takes a while. I mean, I, I think it's fairly simple. I mean, I'm using very simple techniques that a lot of people have used before me, which are all around sound and listening. Um, I will say something like, I'm a, a musician. Uh, because it's a maybe a, a, a more neutral word, and um, I'm interested in place and the recordings people make of places. And what I often do is is make music um, to these archival recordings to you know interact with them and to move alongside them or to be a part of them. It's just the enormity of the thing. After we got outside and realized how how bad it was, and uh, how many uh, friends, almost every man in it. There's a woman in a video on your website that she basically says that what you do is weird. (laughs) Brian showed up one day, and I was told that he wanted to record the sound of wind in a cave or little engines running. Well, I thought that Brian was a little quirky, odd, you know. I can tell him that to his face. In response to that particular woman, um, her name was Cheryl, and uh, I think I went up to her asking if, you know, she had any old oral history tapes or or history recordings or anything sound-related, and she thought that was kind of funny. And yet, you know, she had plenty of them for me to work with. It was just hard to realize that they were gone. Let me fill in a few details here. We've been listening to excerpts from a piece called Forest Listening Rooms. Brian Harnetti is the composer, and I say composed with a slight bit of reservation. Yes, as Brian said, he's a musician, but he's also an ethnographer, a sound ethnographer. So there's so much more going on here than writing music. Basically, a a curiosity that's rooted in sound. Like any researcher working in the field of ethnography, Brian immerses himself in a community, observing and participating in the life of the people there. He becomes a part of the place. He interviews people, joins in local events, combs through archives, takes copious notes. But because he's focused on sound, he says he leads with his ears. I'm paying attention to those sonic qualities in photographs, in writings, in archival materials, but also in my interactions um, with people. And then I also spend a great deal of time making field recordings, listening to places. And then lastly, I'll go to a lot of public meetings and hearings and pay attention to what people are saying to each other and really try very hard to listen without judgment and uh, with a certain kind of empathy and, and just trying to understand a place and the people that live there. 
rather than writing ethnography, the final project is a recording or a musical project or a sound installation. For forest listening rooms, Brian focused his research on the communities surrounding Wayne National Forest. It's in the Appalachian region of Ohio, in particular, the village of Shawnee. Between six and 700 people live in Shawnee. The per capita income for people living in the local county is about a third lower than the national average. Brian selected Shawnee for a couple of reasons. First, he lives in Columbus, Ohio, a little over an hour away, and there's a family connection to Shawnee. His mother's family immigrated to the area in the 1870s. The other reason he selected Shawnee is because of the region's rich history and culture. It has a lot of struggles. Um, it's, it's trying to, you know, revitalize itself. There's a lot of material there. Mining was once the big industry in the region, mostly coal and iron mining. In fact, the United Mine Workers initially formed in Columbus. There's also been some oil and gas extraction, but much of that economic activity has vanished, especially coal. When coal left, it left all of this degradation, obviously, but also all the people left too. And so Shawnee is a town that's, that's built on a hill, and the buildings are literally you know, falling down. They're sliding down the hill. And so when I first went there well, 12 years ago or so, I got out of my car and it, it looked kind of like an old, old western town or, um, you know, really very beautiful old buildings that seemed unkept. And I talked to a local resident there and I stuck my foot in my mouth and I said, this is such a beautiful place. Why haven't you been able to keep it up or whatever? And he said, we have been, you know, we have been doing this for 50 years. It's just really hard to do. And they've been holding the buildings up and each other up for all this time. At one point, most of the forests in the region were clear-cut. But in the 1930s, during the Roosevelt administration, the region was declared a national forest, the only national forest in Ohio. The Civilian Conservation Corps reseeded the area, and now the forest is rebounded. Still, Brian told me the drilling and mining diminished, but it never really stopped. He says tension exists today over how best to use the land, tension between preservation and extraction. And this is where forest listening rooms come in. He sees the project as a way to bring forward the past and provide an opportunity to heal it. As we were talking, Brian remembered a story from Wendell Berry, the farmer and environmental philosopher. He talked about, you know, working on his own land and he inadvertently destroyed a part of it and then had to work really hard to make it better again. What came out of that story for me was that he called a, a land that has been scarred and then healed again a geography of scars and that the scars are signs that the healing has taken place. And so I was really inspired by that idea that here are all of these community members who have stuck through all of this economic downturn and are really working hard to heal the place both environmentally and economically. And if I could amplify those voices, maybe it could happen even faster. Here's how forest listening rooms work. Brian listens through archive tapes. One person in town gave him a big box full of tapes, 50 in all, recorded in the 1980s and 90s. He also combs through interviews he's made during his time there. And what he's doing is he's listening for good stories about history and landscape, as well as interesting and captivating voices. He'll then envelop those recordings with his music. When he's ready, he'll seek out a place in the woods to hold a public listening session. For instance, one time he selected the location of an old mine that was set afire by striking miners in the late 1800s. Once he's set a date and time, he'll invite people. 
Everyone gathers at a parking spot where Brian explains the project. Then they all walk into the forest, silently, a sound walk. I really appreciate the idea of walking in silence together and just listening. Eventually, the group arrives at the selected location and everyone sits, maybe on a bench or a fallen log or some soft, mossy spot. They continue listening in the woods quietly. After about 15 minutes, Brian plays his composition. Here's an extended excerpt. but it's also this really dense, complex, layered historical place that I don't fully grasp or understand. How the mine car started? Well, I know what always been heard that I I would don't know whether it actually started that way, but uh, over Straightville, there's a hauler over there they call Lost Hauler. Had a mine down in there, and uh, one of the mine miners and mine owners disagreements. A bunch of miners loaded up a car of coal, and it was uh, pretty much a back line.
parents are gone. And after my dad died, my mom died first, and after my dad died, I wasn't quite ready for uh, the feeling of being an orphan. And something about being in an area that is familiar to you, that reminds you of your childhood, reminds you of carefree days, is comforting. I don't know how else to say it. It's just comforting. It's home. It's pretty definitely accepted that the miners uh, poured oil on a loaded car of coal sitting on the tipple when they had that strike and pushed it down the slope and it coasted away back in the mine and yeah, that's what cut, I heard too. cut the seam on fire. There's no, apparently no doubt about that. Uh, one of the men that helped uh, perform that act, uh, after he seen what he'd done, he couldn't, he said he never got it off his mind. It troubled him all his life to think he was a part party to ruination of that. At the end of the composition, Brian leads a guided conversation, which he records. He'll use those recordings in subsequent iterations of the listening rooms. He's interested in people's responses. What impact is sitting in the woods listening to stories having? The conversation often starts with people's memory. They almost invariably go to their childhoods and what it was like to grow up there, um, whether they had walked through these places as children and how much it's changed over time. All of these things seem to come pouring out of people. I don't really have to, to do much. In the beginning, I thought we would be having all these conversations about um, you know, the history of extraction and how to end it in the public lands, but that gets talked about later. It seems like at first, everyone is just really almost giddy from being in that environment. And I put those conversations at the very end of our process because I wanted the forest to become a mediator almost between myself or other people that might think culturally or politically very different from the local residents. And I think it's always done that. It feels like the trees are acting on us. The, the trees themselves have a kind of agency in that situation. When a forest listening room is finished, and people get up to leave. What do you hope has happened? Well, first off, we have to walk back out. <laughs> um, and so I don't force everyone to be silent on the way back out. And you can hear sort of everyone feels a little bit lighter. Um, you can hear it in their steps. There's more conversation now and, and a little bit of laughter. People are um, having conversations with one another. And so maybe the real work starts afterwards, you know, the, the real work of, of sort of developing a kind of understanding between all these divides and a way forward, you know, from everything from community action to public policy, all those things maybe come out at a later time from this experience. So I just, I just keep hoping that it's a small kernel, some small beginning Of course, eventually, 
mining towns being what they are and how they're situated and everything and as far as work and living is concerned things get back to normal if the mines open up again and they start working and eventually gradually why people begin to live normal life miners life coal miners My thanks to Brian Harnetti, my guest on today's Sound School. As always, we have links to Brian's work at the post for this episode at transom.org. My conversation with Brian ranged far and wide. We also spoke about the composition process, how he listens to tape, and what he's listening for from a compositional perspective. You can hear what he had to say at Transom. The Sound School podcast is brought to you by PRX and Transom. I have editorial help from Genevieve Sponsler and Jay Allison, and as always, I am hugely grateful to both of them, and to WCAI in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. I'm Rob Rosenthal. Thanks for listening. From PRX. And Transom dot org.